This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. We're back for another riveting episode of True Crime Kent, episode 49. 49 of True Crime Kent. How are you today, operator? Excellent. Fantastic. And we usually start out these episodes with a little question to kind of get in the groove of things with the uh, topic that we're going to be covering. And today I have a question up. What is the most self-governed little community that you've ever stumbled across in your Mormon travels while spreading literature throughout the universe? And by that, I mean a community where they seem to have their own laws, their own policing, etc. Or maybe even the Mormons themselves have communities like that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys have a place where you get into a disagreement over who gets the last scoop of mayonnaise. And then the person that said the meanest thing within the disagreement is required by the governing body of Mormons to smile for 48 hours straight and compliment everybody that they come across. (laughs) Well, that's close to how it goes down. Um, we have the get we have the get along shirts, of course, that we have in our community. Get along shirt, you know, get along shirt, right? Yeah, it's a big shirt. It's like a six hundred pound life shirt, but two or three people or a basketball team can fit inside of it. Yes, and you have to wear. Except it for together. our get along shirts, yeah. our get along shirts have a a bot a combination of bodysuit inside of them where there's a, a like a cod piece. Kind of, uh, I don't know, onesie lock down in the crotch so that you can maintain, um, Innocence. your, yeah, your virtue. Yeah, yeah. Whilst if you, like, if you had a conflict, you know, uh, also if you, like, if I were to have a conflict with the lady neighbor and she was also, of the same ilk, we would, I would not be able to get in the conflict, the, the get along short with her. My wife would have to. And then obviously it, it, there are two rules. It's either, uh, you either, you've either got scat or you have talk it out. Talk it out is usually the way people go, but scat is a term that that is used for when two women are in the get-along shirt and are given the opportunity to not have to talk about it at all, but just fight. But they got to stay in the shirt in the, the shirt. whole time. Yeah. <laughs> now they're not their arms aren't in the in the armholes, right? They just get inside the shirt and they just fucking like sock <laughs> no, boppers. It, w- just inside well, it's the shirt. Half it's and a half. thought confined within a shirt. Yeah, but each of you get one arm out of sleeve. So you get one arm in, one arm out. Oh, you're only allowed to use uh, one arm in the thought. You can use both, but, um, you know, so one arm's out. The out, the one arm that's out is usually head punch, head yeah, punch, head the, punch. Yeah, the inner arm is for body shots. Body shots. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of body shots. Uh, a <laughs> lot of questions have been raised over the years on on what is permissible inside of the shirt. And at the same time, that conflicts with rules that say no one is allowed to view under the shirt because that, would, that, would, uh, that wouldn't be virtuous. Right. I had an uncle that would start shit with us when we were growing up just so we'd have to wear the get-along shirt with him. Yeah. Yeah, that would be. Um, it was like, we're gonna work this out, but I need to lock the door first. 
there's a version, it's, I would call it the outskirts of society, you know, that I would consider to be familial, but not direct related. Uh, There's an outskirt where that's that slice of society they use the get along shirt but there is a there is a um social event that's wrapped around it as well called greased jenny greased jenny and that is similar except for it's more for social engagement rather than fighting or conflict resolution we had an event called greased jenny where i come from as well you did yeah there was this downy girl downy she had down syndrome and yeah. every summer we had this big hill. It was the same hill where we'd sled down in the winter. Mm-hmm. And we had the Grease Jenny games where we'd get Jenny in a uh, swimsuit and we'd grease her up. And then it was who could push her the fastest down the hill. Yeah. This Down syndrome girl. <laughs> was and she gre- She was greased? Greased. Yeah. Yeah. Greased Jenny. That's what we call it. It's crazy. A lot of very similar upbringing. Well, we did. Um, we had that uh, Popham Docks. Did you? Was it Popham Docks? Did you have Popham Docks? We didn't have Popham Docks, but Jenny died a while back in a tornado. Ah, uh, sucked right in. No, she, the tornado really didn't have any. She had a heart attack, but there was a tornado in town at the time. Ah, uh, yeah, happens. Happens to the best of them. Popham Docks was similar to that. Only it was uh, you. You were greased. With a loincloth, naturally, virtue again. But it always took place right after a fresh cut mowing. And so uh, they would weigh you before and then they would weigh you after. And you could only stop rolling down the hill until you gained a quarter pound of uh, mulch okay. on your on your body. But you That's asked me... A lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, pop them dogs. Yeah, what kind of in your in your yeah. Mormon travels? Yeah, and I like to consider you like the the uh, Peter Quill, the Star Lord of the Mormons, mm-hmm. Mormons of the galaxy. That's what I like to imagine your your missionary days and your spaceship was just a a Toyota Corolla, and you guys had a Drax and a Groot and we a did. rocket, and it was just all a bunch of Mormon white guys though. Yeah, and you were the Peter Quill, but like a, in your in your travels as a Mormonite, what is the weirdest little community that you came across where they kind of had their own laws and rules and policing and everything? They kind of sit on the out on the outskirts of society. Yeah, I would say in that in that realm when I was down there in the South, I would say that it was definitely any any government project area, very self policing. Also, uh, oftentimes police weren't going in. Uh, this is, and this is, this is both races. You know, there, there were, there were government projects where, you know, it was just kind of like it ran itself. But yeah. you know what interesting is, is the, the, and those, the, I think that's, that's probably pretty nationwide. So it's not really specific to my journeys there, but I will tell you. That um, one time I was mountain biking out of the Trinity Mountains in Idaho and and we we knew we needed to make it back home 
noon the next day. So we started at 9 p.m. that night because it was going to be really hot. So we, we biked all through the night. We got lost at one point and we're dry, riding along, very dark night on the trail. And all of a sudden, puck, 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 Stuff was hitting us from the wheels of our bikes, like it was hitting us in the face and stuff. And and then suddenly, we were surrounded by sheep everywhere. Like we couldn't even move. There were sheep everywhere. What was hitting your wheels? Sheep crap. Oh, yeah. And so we're... Yeah, we're yeah. totally disoriented now. We're in a cloud of sheep, yeah. and then there's a shepherd. Three a.m. And were they Republicans or Democrats? <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh, oh man, that was good. Oh, shepherd got them both. Yeah, shepherd was there, and he was just standing there, and we were happy to see him because we were lost. And so I says to him, I says, we're lost. And he speaks in another language. And I was like, oh. And so I said What it country louder. was this? In Idaho, in the Trinity uh, Mountains. The country of Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. Trinity Mountains in Idaho. And I say, so I says to him again, I says, we are lost, as if like that helps. Yeah, you and just got to speak was, louder. That always <clears throat> clears it up. That's yeah, a problem. But, that, that's a lot of people don't realize. You say something, they're like, I don't speak English. You're like, you just got to say it louder. Right. And that's, it works. Yeah. He didn't understand the second time. Well, and then we kind of, we kind of you know, just used said it hands. Louder. Yeah. Well, it was 3 a.m. I really didn't want to, you noise ordinance and all right. that in the trinities. Yeah. Um, but I, we used hand signals and stuff and we, we figured it out. And he was like, oh, ba da ba da ba da ba And he's pointing, pointing one way. And he draws on the ground, um, uh, uh, the the trail, and then like a fork, the trail, and a fork off the trail. And so we saw it in our headlamps, and we're like, "Thank you, thank you." And he's like, "Bapa dapa dapa dapa." And would have been just funny went, if you guys, if he went and found a stick, and you guys are waiting for him to give you directions, and you guys are waiting around. It's dark. It's three a.m. It's like you stopped, you know, thirty minutes ago. He's like, "Found a stick." And he's like, "Come over here." And then you guys clear a space, and you all huddle around. And then he just writes a fuck you in the dirt. <laughs> uh, well, the, it's funny you say that because for a shepherd, this dude was yoked. Like he was, he was tough looking. Yeah. As a shepherd, maybe, you know, in your that's brain. Where the, that's where the popular saying, uh, he had a shepherd's body. <laughs> that's where it came from. A shepherd's build. Yeah. And his wife, the, the, the term, where we get shepherd's pie is yeah. um comes from the same genre but but anyway uh fork in the road so we we left fork in the road ended up in the community in a little tiny town in the middle of the for in the middle of the tr the the trinity mountains that place was not monitored governed by anybody except for the basque community which is what like this a fairy tale it was I bet, you it, I bet this town could never be found again there are there is so there's a people called the basque people b-a-s-q-u-e and there are the largest concentration of basque people 
in the world is in Idaho. It's 15,000 of them. And they congregate in or in and around the Boise area, but in the, in the mountains, there's a whole Basque community that just operates on its own, operates on its own shepherds and it's, Basque people come from the region wild. of southwest France and northern and northwest Spain. Yeah, and 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 they ended up over here in the 1800s because of the 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 prospect of sh- shepherding, sheep herding and stuff and it was profitable, worked out for them and then they just kind of, you know, stuck around and so there's a, you know, anyway, that little town was like being in another country and we didn't could we didn't find anyone that spoke English the whole town not a person that we found spoke English in that town and that was weird and then we mountain biked back back home I like how you said I like the part where you said that was weird but you're yeah, on it, bicycles yeah. in the mountains in church clothes well, no, this wasn't to spread on a, Mormon literature. This was, yeah, I should have clarified that we weren't on the, I wasn't on a mission when this happened. It was, it was, it was uh, after my mission. I was doing it as kind of like, you know, a, a, a challenge, a thing. We were like 75 miles out of town and we biked back home 75 miles. So kind of threw the story off there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. That was crazy. I mean, I don't think yeah. a cop's ever shown up there. I don't know how, like, even if they called 911, it'd be like, dubba, 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 and they'd be like, mm, and then hang up. Today, we're going to be talking about a young lady by the name of Helen Ruth Spence. Okay. I got all my, well, I got a large portion of information, not all of it. Uh, I got, it was probably half from the book and half from old newspapers and articles. But the book that I read called, the Daughter of the White River. And that was written by uh, a young lady by the name of Denise Parkinson. Mm. And the book was fine. It's kind of long-winded, I guess, in terms of irrelevant information. There's a whole lot of stuff about muscles. Not like muscles. Not like fucking – not like shepherd's build muscles. But yeah. uh, muscles that you pull out of a river. And a lot of information and backstories about a kid that doesn't really even have that much to do with the story in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, that's how uh, that's how it felt when we were getting directions in the Basque community. A lot about sheep, not a lot about which way to go. <laughs> yeah, that's how Ugh. this book. But I mean, with that being said, everybody else that read this book seems to love it. So I'm clearly the outlier here, and I will acknowledge that I am wrong. It's a good book, according to everybody that's ever read it. When it comes to true crime books, I just kind of, I guess, prefer dry, chronological, and straightforward. Mm-hmm. I, I prefer it to read like a college report. Oh, so this one was a little more maybe storified, would you say? Yeah, yeah, a lot of, like, there's a lot of, like, conversation in it. And since this story story takes place in the early 1900s, it's like, there's no way. How do you know they said that? Exactly. You know know what I mean? Yeah. But everybody that loves this book seems to love it. And factually, outside of, you know, conversations and stuff like that, it does get it right. So if you want to uh, learn more about this this case that we're going to talk about today, it is called Daughter of the White River, and that is by Denise Parkinson. Good read okay. according to everybody else. <laughs> I'm going to go to Amazon and look up uh, just the anonymous review that is obviously you. <laughs> I would never write a bad review, especially about a book. 
Um, this yeah. woman put a lot of work into this, and I respect that. Just not for me, and that's fine. That's fine. It's just not for me. Yeah. Right. Just like movies. Books are just like movies. Some people love some books. Some people don't care for them. My opinion is not the end-all, be-all, and I am uh, the, the outlier in my opinion. So there's uh, it's clearly a good book. I just am too dense to see that. Anyways, we're going to Arkansas for this story up. St. Charles, Arkansas, to be exact. St. Charles, Arkansas is located in Arkansas County in Arkansas. Okay. There's a lot of S's in. We're going to the early 1900s. And St. Charles, Arkansas has a population of about 200 people at the time. Most importantly, though, uh, geographically with this story, the White River runs along the border of the town. And it's on this river that a large percentage of this story will take place. Okay. See, at this point in time in the early 1900s here in St. Charles, there were two types of people. There were the drylanders and the river people. I'm hoping that that's pretty self-explanatory. It is. That, okay. It is. Right. You hear that, and if you think anything other than drylanders being people that live on dry land and river people being river people that live on the river, then you are wrong, and you are also should be greased up and slid down a hill. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to go back to Popham Docks, too. I was like, yeah, I would feel like you, you know, were definitely imposing an unfair challenge on the audience. Now, let's get into the life of the river people or the derogatory term for river people, river rats, if you're being a dick. River rat is like the N-word to river people, for real. They are allowed to call themselves that, but outsiders are not. And I think they say river rat. Mm-hmm. They're allowed to say it, but no one else is. Yeah, if a drylander ever called a river person a river rat, there'd probably be a fight. Oh, CNN would show up. But you can. But you can say river. No, you can't. Mm, I can't you even can't. say that. I can't even say river. Because yeah, you're a drylander. So I can't. So you can't say river rat, and you can't say river. So there's no version hard R or no. You no, can't. no hard R, no A. Only they can say river rat or river rat. But can the river rat people say drylander? Or drylander. Are yes. they allowed to say yes. See? Again. Yeah. Ugh. So dumb. It's this universal. Do you really want to say it that bad? No. River rat. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I'd walk down there into their town and be like, hey, what's up, my river? I would just roll. I would, I would imbue myself to those people. Okay. They'd beat your ass too, cracker. Let's see how this story plays out, and I'll tell you if that's true. I'm sorry, cracker. Yeah, there uh, you go. The river people, they're, they're, it's literally a floating community of just moist rednecks. <laughs> just, just backwoods people that lived on the water in homemade houseboats. Weird. And this is kind of like, sounds to me, a lot of fun. Yeah. No. This is like a childhood dream come true, right? To live on the river. And if you didn't guess from my question that I asked you at the beginning of this, the law kind of stayed out of the river people's business. Unless shit got serious. Unless we're talking about murder or something like that. Um, They took care of their own. They had their own code of ethics, their own churches. I think 
One boat even had a man that hung off the front of it in red pajamas in front of giant speakers and played an electric guitar that shot flames. Whoa. That's pretty cool. Okay, I made that up. That's a oh, that was a joke. Dang that it. was that was a joke. There's not a guy that hangs off. But they they do have they did have their own security systems though that they made from cedar wood, tiny little wooden whistles that each boat had that had its own kind of pitch. Is that the right word? Or yaw distinct sound <laughs> so they knew who was talking oh. when they blew their whistle at nighttime and they would use these whistles to warn the other river people if there were say intruders strangers police presences via beeps kind of like some kind of the river has eyes morris code so the the whistles were sort of like a unique vernacular like each whistle was identified as something different yes yeah so like they have their own brrr, whistle language almost. Like a vernacular. Vernacular. Here on the river, there were hunters, there were trappers, they, they were fishermen. A large portion of the river people made money by gathering mussels off of the riverbed. And they did this via rigging up diving gear with old Model T gas tanks and then filling their pockets with rocks and just walking into the. I'm not making this is true. So they would take a gas tank, cut it up, and make it, put it over the shoulders, and it had like a a tube that ran out that they could pump air into, and then they would just fill their pockets with rocks, and that's how they would get to the bottom of the river to collect these mussels. In fact, the river people in the early 1900s supplied the United States with the material needed, mussel shells, to make buttons for military uniforms, and they supplied 90% of the of the material needed to make the buttons for military uniforms until the creation of cheap plastics put that out of business. Speaking of buttons, where do belly buttons go to college? Where? The Naval Academy. So that Anyways, was, the young that lady was a we're button and a military joke. Bam! Wham! That was like a dub, double penetration joke. You know a good naval joke? Yeah. Where do belly buttons go to college? No. Why did the ship... <laughs> Cross the ocean. <laughs> Why? I'll tell you later. Anyways, right. the young lady we're fo- focusing on today was herself a river person. The probably the most famous river person ever, and her name was Helen Ruth Spence. And I love this woman. Love her. She's a folk hero now in Arkansas <laughs> County. Okay. Is the saw is the S at the end of Arkansas silent? Yeah, I was gonna. I wasn't gonna say anything. In Arkansas, there you go. well, yeah, Arkansas, yep. in Arkansas mm-hmm. County. No, you don't have to. You can say the N in the middle. Arkansas, Arkansas, and Arkansas. Yeah, it'll probably get better as we go on. Helen Ruth Spence is believed to have been born on February 23rd, 1912. Now, we don't know the exact day of birth, but this is the the date of birth that's on her headstone, on her tombstone. Mm. But that is disputed. Regardless, we do know that she was born in 1912 for sure, and she was born on a houseboat to the river community there on the White River in Arkansas. Yeah, that one. 
She was the second child of a, of a man that will be very important in this story, a fellow by the name of Wilburn Cicero Spence, and her mother was named Ellen Woods. Ellen Woods, relatively important because she dies very soon. Uh, her older sister was named Edna, or Eddie for short, and her older sister suffered from infantile paralysis and never walked. So she was just laying down her whole life. Never walked, just laying around like Grandpa from Charlie's Charlie's in the Chocolates Factories. Uh, just, just laying around in a bed. There was never a golden ticket that got her out of bed, though. Um, That's terrible. Edna and Helen were raised on a homemade, so Cicero, her father, had made this boat, a homemade 30-foot river boat with a tin roof. It floated on top of two huge cypress logs like a pontoon. You ever been on a pontoon op? Uh, not with Cicero, but is the name Cicero, right. is it similar? Is that, is that a, a, like an, an, an offshoot of Cicero? Cicero. How do you spell it? C-I-C-E-R-O. C-E-R-O. Yeah. Yeah, Cicero, but, but well, also Cicero. I mean, Cicero. I, I've listened to like 50 documentaries about this, and every one of them say, say Cicero. So yeah. I'll just say it like that. Yeah. Okay. They're probably right. I, I have found recently that... I can be wrong. <laughs> you also think that Arkansas is pronounced, pronounced Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this floating homemade 30-foot river boat with a tin roof uh, had several rooms. They, it was screened in windows. It was heated with a pot-bellied stove and lit with kerosene lanterns. It's basically a floating death box that was close to catching fire at any given moment. Hint, hint, hint. Okay. And I know I really, if you notice, I really um, laid into that part. It doesn't come into play ever. This boat never catches on fire. There's not a single fire in this whole story, actually. So don't know why I did that. Sorry for misleading you. Yeah. I got kind of excited. I just said I got kind of excited, and I also thought maybe, did you say 1850? Uh, no, don't think I did. We're actually, okay. at this point, we're yeah. 70 or 80 years past 1850. Because we're wow. in the 1920s now. Time just flew by. Man. What happened in 1850? Op, hit me with it. Um, oh, nothing. Except. Oh. Shell coins. Oh. Just was stuck in my head ever since you said muscle shells because I don't know if you know about it, but there are shell coins that were actually used as currency in oh, the 1800s. God damn, actually, I didn't know about that crossed all the world really right. but in the 1800s you know in particular in africa yep congo area they yep. used uh they used they used them a, a people called the nzumbo used shell coins uh made out of muscle shells <clears throat> oh are you done well i was i could i could go into barth and how he you know he, you he helped he helped found uh, yeah. widespread Kano and Kuka right. Gondo, but all those people, right. you know, right. Timbuktu, you might've heard of Timbuktu. I mean, I've that was one of the, of pla- yeah, one of the yep. places. Yeah. Near, just, just <clears throat> go to Munayoma and take a right. Love Munayoma. 1850. Shell coins. I didn't see where I was supposed to say that in the script, so I yeah, just kinda, I didn't put it in there. It wasn't in yeah. there. I figured I just left a blank spot there. I, 
I think I found it. Take the ball. When Helen was just a baby, her mother Ellen died from an unknown illness. And I searched and searched and searched. I couldn't find anything. She was probably eaten by a snapping turtle or drowned by an alligator gar or shot by a deer hellbent on vengeance. I don't know what happened to her. (laughs) (laughs) What? Nothing. I just I had this picture in my head of a deer with a deer with a gun and He's just like, hit on. me as I'm gonna fanciful. Get me some, I was I'm gonna get me some rivers today. <laughs> uh, so yeah, her mother dies when she's just a toddler, and it's after her mother's death that her her Helen and her uh, disabled sister they get very close after their mother's death, despite um, Edna's ability uh, uh, ability to not be vertical. So basically, her sister got close to her. Yeah, because that was the only way that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Good, good for them. Good, good on her. Their father Cicero remarried a woman named Ada, and Ada ended up being Helen's stepmom, and she was a good stepmom. Good. This is a good woman. Ada is, or Ada um, was it Ada. Wow. <laughs> Call it whatever Just the so fuck you want to. Ada, mm. Ada. I don't give a shit. Doesn't matter. Everybody in this story is dead. What's so, weird is actually that whole Basque community comes out of Ada County. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm seeing all kinds of parallels here. It's just blowing my mind. But I need to stop because this is not my ep- podcast. I need to remind myself of that. Ada? Is it pronounced Ada? Okay. Producer Jess is saying yes. So their father, Cicero, remarried a woman named Ada. And the Spence family there... Yeah. After they get married, they're well known in the Delta's houseboat community there. They're they're our prominent family as far as a family of river people on a houseboat can be. Her father, Cesario, he was a small, slender man with a thin, wrinkled face. He was a very skilled fisherman, hunter, trapper, everything. He was also a brawler and a tough guy there. He was considered the mediator of the river people. So they used him to solve conflict. He was kind of like the deputy sheriff of the river people. Probably whenever he had to solve conflicts, I like to imagine that he he wore a mud turtle shell on his head Mm -hmm. and sat Indian style on a pile of catfish whiskers while holding a staff made out of an old Confederate musket. (laughs) Helped solve, resolve conflict with trap battles. Yeah. Whenever he made a decision, he slammed the musket set sound and said, I have spoken. It's <laughs> uh, a Disney movie here somewhere, I think. Growing up, Cicero taught little Helen how to shoot firearms, catch and clean fish. And so she was a good <laughs> sewer. It's always going to come back to haunt me. Oh, she was a very good sewer. Mm. She sewed very well, but she was uh, even better than sewing. Quite a marksman. That's going to come into play in a little bit because of the nature of this podcast. And uh, she was a hunter, <laughs> a hunter, a fisherman, a uh, fisherwoman, and just a badass. Little Helen was a badass because of her father. And Cicero, her father, was Helen's hero, and she was his sidekick. She was glued to his side. He taught her everything he knew. She was his little... She was his shadow. I mean, she she worshipped her father. Yeah. 
And I love this so far. This story's a lot of fun so far. You got sweet little badass Helen, and she's shooting deer and fucking playing paper, rock, scissors, and catching fish and kicking turtles in the dick. Shooting people's firearms off. Do what? Shooting people's firearms off, you said? I didn't. I never said that. You just said you that. You said that Cicero taught Helen how to shoot firearms. I thought maybe that because of the boats, you know, maybe like, oh, no, there's another guy on fire. Shoot his arms. There's literally so not the a fire didn't. in this entire story. Not one. Not one yeah. fire in this uh, whole story. You keep your secrets. I hear you. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> I have no secrets. I will blow you. <laughs> Said Helen. <laughs> now, although Helen was petite, she could probably whoop the ass of half the boys her age because she had essentially been raised by a backwoods, watery, moist version of Bear Grylls. Gross. You don't like that word, do you? Moisture? Moist? <laughs> Just picture Bear Grylls. Like, her dad looks like Bear Grylls every time, all the time. The version of Bear Grylls where he crawls out of, like, the carcass of a... Animal he probably did. I mean, we're talking the nineteen early nineteen hundreds in Arkansas yeah. for river people. I would say hygiene probably wasn't the number one priority. The high, the, the priorities went alligator gar, mud turtle helmet, Confederate musket, Confederate flag, hygiene. <laughs> I don't want to bust anybody's bubble, but Arkansas, I'm sorry, Arachnasass was a very Confederate state. (laughs) Helen and her stepmother, Ada, Ada, Mm, Ada, Helen and her stepmother, Ada, helped take care of the floating houseboat together. They took all the responsibilities, and uh, she loved taking care of our father whenever he wasn't working and busting his ass, and he was a very hard worker. He was up from sunrise to sunset, busting his ass to provide for his family there. Um, when he, On the few occasions that he would relax on the little uh, kind of floating patio there on the front of their boat overlooking the river, she loved bringing him tobacco and coffee while he sat there on the deck uh, looking out over the river and thinking about fucking water people stuff. Yeah. Whatever that is. Thinking about pH levels and frogs and mud. Probably thought about mud a lot. Yeah. Tadpoles. Moss. You know when you get out of a hot tub and you're steaming? Yeah. I feel like that's what all these people look like all the time. Just sweaty? Steam. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I probably followed them. They probably uh, looked like cryptids to the drylanders. Cicero, you got a nice thick steam on you today. Humidity just followed them. Yeah. If you got within 18 foot of Helen, your nuts just started sticking to your leg. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, why all the boys walk so weird around me? You know that walk we do when your nuts are sticking to your leg and you get, give yourself just a little extra jaunt in one leg to kind of try to throw it off? Try to make it not look obvious, but it always does. 
always looks took three normal steps and then one big sideways step and did like a half split. Oh yeah, you think I, I didn't notice that up? Nuts always, are sticking to your leg. <laughs> when I do it, I always insert just a couple lines from an Eminem song, so it looks like maybe I just had a swagger moment. <laughs> As I've gotten older, I just go because it seems way less awkward announcing, "Hey, my nugs, my nuts are stuck to my leg. Gonna adjust them now." And that seems to be more comfortable for everybody than doing that awkward split thing. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. well, at least he called it out. Like, at least we don't have to pretend like we didn't just see him do a cheerleading move as a 45-year-old man. <laughs> but, yeah, women get within five foot of Cicero. They start getting those happy face tit sweat lines in their shirt. Because <laughs> women have tit pits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jess, do women put deodorant under their tits? I just now thought this is probably a thing. Is it a thing? Depends on how big your tits are, I guess. Do you have friends that have this big tits that put deodorant under their tits? Is that is that, yes, even, is that a thing have, in the female community? I have friends that do that. So this is a thing, and I just figured that that was probably actually, a thing. They make a product that's like for chafing. It's for between your legs and under your... It's Chub Rub. Yeah. Monostat makes it. No. Yeah, Monostat makes one. Oh, I don't, I don't it's know It's a about dry that. cream. Meh. Used it hunting because my legs. Well, that's fun. During those hot, humid, humid summer months, I always I put a Listerine strip on the belly of my wiener where it touches the ball sack. That would sting so bad. Yeah, but you get used to it. I bet you do. Line the bottom of your wiener with Listerine strips so that... You stay fresh. Oh wait, you were talking about underwire mire. That's what that's what we call it here. Underwire mire, which is where like things get real swampy under breasts. Underwire mire. Why do they call it underwire mire? Because it's like a swamp. It's like a mire. You know, like you're stuck in the mire. It's like the biblical. grocery store? No. M I R E. Like an ox stuck in the mire. That's why you work on Sunday. E. Yeah. Do you know what the fuck he's talking about right now, Jez? I I I literally no, I do not. Don't know what he's talking about. But now I'm curious on what the people in the 1900s did for their tit sweat. Oh, you just let it ride. You just (laughs) just let it go. You didn't do nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Let it go. I mean, the people in the 1900s handled tit sweat the way that the British handled teeth. Or the way French people handle war. Yeah. Just ignore it. Just let it go. <laughs> you ever heard that one joke about the French? It's like French military rifle, like new, dropped once, never fired. <laughs> and if it did fire, it just shoots a little boop, a white flag. <laughs> Doesn't even say kapow on it. Just a white flag. It says kakua, which probably means we quit. Now, Helen had a lot of chores there mm. on the on the riverboat. She was responsible for making their lye soap, for hoeing the garden. They did keep a garden on the bank there where they would dock, for feeding their chickens that were also kept on the riverbank. And she was also responsible for hauling gallons and gallons and gallons and buckets of fresh water from the cold spring deep in the woods. So 
That would make a young woman tough enough, hauling five-gallon bucket after five-gallon bucket. We're talking, this was way up in the woods. That makes your hands real tough. Yeah, this is a tough young lady. This is is a tough, and she's going to grow into a tough woman that will not take shit from anybody. I bet this girl in her prime could beat Catherine Knott's ass. Whoa. I mean, if they were like, hey, you got to bet on Helen Ruth. Spence, you got to hey, you got to bet on Helen Spence or Catherine Knight. I would put all my turtle shells on Helen Spence. That's some serious bushwhacking right there. Yeah, she just have to stay away from yeah the red crotch. That's like her <laughs> fatality move. Get getting Helen's grip though in a video game. Speaking of hands and Helen, why didn't anybody hear Helen fall off the cliff? Keller, Helen Keller. <laughs> why didn't anyone hear Helen Keller fall off a cliff? Why? Because she was wearing mittens. <laughs> you get it? Because of the. It's hard to see sign oh, language yeah. when you're wearing. Why did Helen Keller's dog run away? I don't know why. You would run away, too, if your name was... <laughs> Do you know why a flashbang would be completely ineffective against Helen Keller? Why? Because she's dead. <laughs> Look, yeah. Helen always got her chores done quickly, despite the overwhelming amounts of them that she had. And she always got them done quickly so that she could join her father as he checked his traps, his trot lines. And there on the river, the river pretty much provided the river people with everything they needed to survive. And they they flourished. They did well. They caught channel catfish, brown bullhead catfish, also known as mudcats, alligator gar, bullfrogs. Um, and we ate a lot of bullfrogs growing up. All jokes. I make a lot of jokes about growing up in the South. But we did frog gig a lot. I've ate so many pounds of frog legs in my life, and it's something that I love doing growing up. Can you eat any other part of a frog no. other than just the leg? No. No. I mean, not that I'm aware. I've never. We always just ate the legs. And you have to pull the vein out, don't you? Yeah, it's got a mud vein. Mud vein. Well, yeah. not a mud vein, really. Not like a it's shrimp. Like a nerve. It's a got nerve. a nerve, yeah, because the mud vein yeah. in the shrimp is actually its poop line. Mm, I don't know if a lot gross. of people know that when they eat shrimp, that, yeah. that vein that runs up the back is its shit is its shit vein. So if you just go ahead and pop that sucker in your mouth, you're just eating its shit vein. Mm. So that's fun to know. But yeah, they do have the the nerves in the frog legs, those big but we always just ate them. Mm. But I love going frog gigging as a kid. Yeah. You ever been frog it's gigging? Weird lure on you your use mini missions. Frog gigging. Yeah. The, like uh, there's the no multi- lures. Yeah, All the you need multi-prong. a prong is a giant flashlight and a pronged stick. Yeah, that's what I'm talking. The pronged stick, though, the one with all the little prongs on it. Yeah, it looks like a baby pitchfork. Yeah, or like a really dangerous. What's that one game that they play? That's like tennis, but with a birdie. Table tennis. No. Badminton. 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 It's like really dangerous badminton. I can't believe you've never been frog gigging. No, I have. have you ever ate frog been, legs? Yeah. I, I went frog gigging uh, quite a bit, actually, in um, Tennessee, actually, more than... Yeah, just Tennessee. What about you, Jess? You ever ate frog legs? No. You're missing no, out. thank you. 
<laughs> missing out. You're not. So they didn't just pull their their meals from the uh, from the uh, river there. They also enjoyed hunting. Like I said, her father was a, an accomplished hunter, and he taught everything he knew about hunting to his daughter Helen. And from the woods, they brought home things like duck and geese, whitetail deer, squirrels, and rabbit. And every single part of the animals u- was used. They didn't waste any of it. Mm. She basically had the upbringing of how I imagine Cy Robertson from Duck Dynasty was raised. Yeah. That's Helen's upbringing. Except Cy had a lathe because of the profession he went into, you know, with the duck yeah, calls. Yeah, the reeds. Yeah, lathes and yeah. reed equipment. Now, life on the river wasn't all work. Op Saturdays were used for play. That usually involved traveling to the near, near town of Ethel to watch baseball games and horse races. Sundays were for worship, and they uh, went to church and crudely built churches on both riverbank and on floating rafts. And by, I mean super crude. They were like, look like where maybe like a Groot would go to church. Mm-hmm. Made out, they were like, they weren't meant to be permanent. It was like, th- they put these things up, and th- it was just enough brush and stuff to keep the sun out of their eyes long enough to have a service. More tree than steeple. Yes. Uh, I was able to dig up several old newspapers of Helen uh, receiving various academic awards while she was in school. Important to note, the Drylander kids and the River kids all went to the same school together. So she did get to mingle with Drylanders, and she was a good student. What I'm saying is, despite her odd upbringing, Helen was very intelligent. She got numerous reading and writing awards. She's a very good student. And Mm -hmm. we're about to see what happens when you come from a backwoods upbringing but make good grades. And I believe this proves that you either end up a criminal or you start a podcast. (laughs) Where do do river people – where do river people keep their money? Where? In the bank. The bank. I like how you said it twice. You were so excited to get it out that you subconsciously went the bank, the bank, the bank. It was felt I feel yeah, like a river of, bank. I'm sp- yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would have been right. better if you said the river bank. <laughs> well, I river bank. I feel like Around, we're both right again. <laughs> Around 1928, 16-year-old Helen, right after graduating the ninth grade, marries a young man that lived near them named Buster Eaton. Right after he proposed to Helen. They barely knew each other, but Buster Eaton was another river rat. I mean, you see pictures of him. He really looks like a greasy son of a bitch. Just, I mean, I've seen two Mm. pictures of Buster Eaton, and I don't like this guy's demeanor. He looks like trouble. But And he's also a little bit older than, than Helen. She's 16 at the time. And right after she graduates the ninth grade, she drops out, marries Buster Eaton, and they run off together. But the marriage only lasted about a month because shortly after running off, Helen found out that Buster was a moonshiner. She wasn't into that kind of shit. Oh, uh, I thought maybe she wasn't, he wasn't satisfying her, you know, like Buster, Buster wasn't eating Helen. <laughs> I got that joke off of adult website. Yeah. 
After their marriage busted up because Helen found out Buster was a moonshiner, she returned home to the river, and her father, Cicero, happily welcomed her back. In 1929, though, Cicero Spence, Helen's father, is charged with murdering a timberman named Jed Wisely during an argument. Now, I don't know the exact details of this, what happened, what the argument was over. There's nothing in the old newspapers about it. But he shoots Jed Wisely during an argument. And Cicero is found guilty and sentenced to nine years in prison, but was released on bond while, while after an appeal. So he's out now, but he's, he's knocking on prison's door just waiting for this to all come back and catch him in the ass. But while he's out on bond, it's Sunday morning now, April 19th, 1930. And this is arguably the most important date of this entire story. Sunday morning, April 19th, 1930. This day is controversial, though, in terms of what happened because there are two different stories. There are two different stories. There's the story that you will read in the old newspapers, and then there's the story that is reported in uh, a lot of the documentaries and things that you hear and podcast, other podcasts that you'll listen to as well as – and that's the story that is also in the book written uh, that I that I was talking about earlier. So I don't know what you can believe what you want to believe what happened. I'm going to give both sides of the story. I'm going to give what happened in the old newspapers, uh, according to the old newspapers, and then I'll tell you what happened in the book. So in the no- old newspapers, the story in the old newspapers, this is what happened. Cicero Spence, who was still, remember, out on bond, his wife, Ada, and two men by the name of Jack Worrells, and Jesse Nipson, or Nixon, depending on what newspaper you read it in, went out on the river one morning, on this morning, Sunday morning, April 19th, 1930, for some fun. And they went on a few different boats. Obviously, Helen and her sister stayed back on the ponto- on the houseboat. And at one point, this crew, they, get, they go up on shore to eat some fried catfish and drink moonshine, like you do. Just, mm. just like you do. You catch, they probably caught some catfish while they were out. And I imagine that these people probably catch or they probably keep breading and everything in their pockets, I imagine, so they can make cat, fried catfish at the drop of a hat, the drop of a turtle shell, and just pulled up onto the, the shore there with a handle of moonshine and started frying some catfish. After eating and drinking, everybody gets pretty fairly sloshed. So Helen's father, Cicero, her stepmother, Ada, and these two other men, they're pretty sloshed. They get back in the boats and begin heading back upriver. And at some point, Cicero gets into an argument with Jack Worrells as the two of them are standing in Cicero's boat. Now, Cicero had accused Jack Worrells of trying to force himself on his wife, Ada, while they were the two of them were in the woods at some point. At that point, Jack Worrells pulls out a pistol and shoots Cicero Spence, Helen's father and hero, in the stomach. Now, Cicero drops to the floor of the boat and begins gripping his stomach, and he's moaning. And it's there that he moaned and bled for an hour before Jack Worrells gets tired of hearing him and rows him out of the boat into the river where he sinks to the bottom. Oh, he was still alive? Still alive. Ada later would say that uh, Jack Worrells then pulled her, that he, put the, he brought the boat ashore, pulled her into the woods, and brutally raped her in the tree line. After he finished raping her, he also beat her nearly to death. And this is all true. She was found by the police almost dead 
her face was beat in. Um, she had internal bleeding, and she had been brutally raped. So at the very least, Jack Wells has raped this woman. Jeez. Now, that's the story in the newspapers. This is how the story goes in the book. And I don't know how these two stories are so different. I don't know who got their wires crossed, but this is what happened according to the book. That morning, Helen woke up to the sound of boots on the deck of their houseboat, and she hears her father, Cicero, talking to a man outside whom he referred to as Jack. And they were talking about going out and setting trot lines that morning. Will you explain to the uh, listener that doesn't know what a trot line is? Yeah, well, um, just to clarify, Kent isn't. Kent, you might be thinking, oh, they're fishing for trout. And no, actually, Kent is saying it right, although he does say trout as trot as well. Trot lines are lines that you put out, and there's a flotation device that's put above them. And then the you can go back and get your trot line having caught. It's called passive fishing. Yeah. It's fishing where you don't have to hang around. Yeah. You string a line between branches, and then off of that line, you run several lines into the water with floaters and on them. Yep. And then fish get, they bite, they get stuck, and then they are there. You yeah. can come back the next day, sometimes have five, six, seven fish on one line. There was a really big um, the kerfuffle in the late 1800s with a company that said that you could invest in their trot lines and... Uh, they would go out and put them into the creek, and you didn't even need to be in the same state to pro- to to invest in these and make money off of what was caught. Come to find out that it was just a guy in a high-rise apartment selling these fake trot lines that never went in the water. There weren't even any trot lines, and there was never anything caught. So he would just take the investments and... And he would keep them, and a lot of people lost their shorts in this whole uh, endeavor. Uh, later, it was found he was um, he was caught and convicted and uh, charged with cryptocurrency uh, fraud. You really had, I mean. That was the longest that's ever taken for anybody to get. Was any of that true? No. When you said trot lines, and then I thought creek, and then I was like, oh, could be a form of See, I'm upset business. that that was a joke because I was going to make a joke that he was one of the first catfishers. <laughs> oh, I'm passed out. So your joke kind of blew mine out of the water. <laughs> well, we each have our skills. So Helen wakes up. She hears her father talking to this guy, Jack, about going and setting trot, line, trot lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, she hears him get in a boat and leave. But not long afterwards, her stepmother, Ada, comes in and wakes her up and tells her, Hey, your daddy forgot his lunch. He's going to be out there on the river all day. He's going to have to have his lunch. Get dressed. We're going to take it to him. Hmm. Which is odd when you think about the fact that she has a a disabled sister named Edna that is paralyzed. How long do you think they would regularly just leave her floating there on this giant flammable boat just looking at the flies on the wall? 
Just <laughs> it's a different time. <laughs> yeah, uh, what are your was, options? Though? That's a good impression, Jess. I wish the uh, listener could. <laughs> Mark Clip. Just that existence. <laughs> just the the just the motion of the river. <laughs> just lapping against the bank. It's hot. They don't have air conditioning. She's paralyzed. You know, flies are shitting on the tip of her nose. Her head keeps banging into the side of the wheelchair, so they just put a slab of tilapia between her and the armrest. <laughs> you know, she just sang hymns to herself. To, I may never march in the... No, I'm definitely not going to do that. These boots were made for dragon. One of these boots are gonna stay right here. (laughs) (laughs) Bonk. So her and her mother, Ada, they go out on a boat to take Cicero's lunch to him. Ada and Helen, they they head down to the river. And as they round a bend in the river, they say that they uh, they see two men. They see the two men, Cicero and Jack, standing in this boat. And they're arguing when they round the bend. They see them standing there arguing in this boat. They don't know what they're arguing about, but they see Jack Worrells raise a revolver and pump two rounds into Cicero's stomach. And then he rolls him into the river and watches him sink to the bottom. He then waves his pistol at Helen and Ada and tells them to come here. And afraid he'll start shooting at them, they oblige. They pull up next to him, and he tells Ada to get in the boat with him. So she does. He then takes the paddles out of Helen's boat, keeps them, and takes a foot and pushes Helen inside in her boat off into the middle of the river. And she just kind of begins floating down river with no way to control where she's going. Helen then floats away as Jack drags Ada up into the woods where he rapes and beats her almost to death. So, so the, the details, I suppose, aren't super important. Yes, so the outcome was the same. The outcome is the same in both stories. Yes, yeah, Cicero does end up with a gunshot in the stomach, and then he gets thrown while still alive into the river by Jack. And the outcome, Ada is raped and beaten almost to death at the end, both times there in the, uh, in the tree line. And that's arguably the worst place for a rape due to poison ivy. Oh. Not a place where you want to have your pants down, rolling around, because you got to put up a fight for a rape. So you got to really get into the foliage, you know. And everybody's kind of wriggling in their chair here. I'm watching. I'm not saying there's a good place for a rape, but this definitely wasn't it. I think we can all agree. I can, I can agree with that. If the Lord came down, he's like, you have to rape somebody. Oh, gosh. You, you can do it in poison ivy on a tree line where there's a lot of mosquitoes, mind you, or on a Serta mattress in a high rise. I think we can all agree. If like, Well, if I've got to do a raping, I would rather do it in the high rise on a Serta mattress. Yeah. I mean, if you're putting it that way and the Lord's the Lord sanctioned it, which, wow, that's a stretch. Have you read the Bible? Yeah, but I don't know if that, I don't think that's. <laughs> I mean, he really requested some wacky things. He did. Yeah, there's some. He asked the guy to kill his son. Yeah. For his own ego. 
He's like, you're not really my my biggest subscriber. <laughs> Hit that sun button. <laughs> and that's what it would have sounded like in 2022 if God ever comes down. He's like, yo, what's up? JC here. If you like the content, hit the sun button with a knife. <laughs> he shows up by putting his hand in your face and then backing it out. Tell me how you like the bread and the condiments. <laughs> Today we're going to give away meals to the homeless. <laughs> wow. That took a left. So Helen is, is now fatherless. And Ada is itchy. Ada's itchy and in the hospital. She's in very bad shape. But the next morning, which is Monday, April 20th, 1930, Jack Worlds does turn himself in at the police station and is arrested for the murder of Cicero Spence. He does claim it was self-defense. And on June 4th, 1930, almost two months later, Cicero Spence's body is found in the river floating. They did an autopsy despite his advanced level of decomposition. And the autopsy concluded that Cicero had not died from the gunshot wounds to his stomach, but he had drowned. Hmm. He, oh, yeah. I was going to say. So I, and that, that's, that's the case in either story, right? That uh, he still gets rolled into the river while he's still alive. Yeah, I recently saw a video like this on crazyshit.com of a Russian getting a, a heavy dose of metal shrapnel while he's trying to hide in a river. And um, it really is something watching that watching that ro- Ruski kick around in the river trying to keep his head afloat and failing miserably. Yeah. <sighs> Hashtag Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Without her father or her stepmother... Keep in mind, Ada's still in critical condition in the hospital. But without her father and stepmother, Helen and her sister, Edna, they move in with their grandmother at her house in the nearby town of DeWitt. Well, I guess Helen moved in. Edna didn't move in. (laughs) Wow. She was presented there. Yeah. At some point between Cicero's death and the trial of Jack Worrells, Helen does get a job while she's waiting for the trial as a waitress at a restaurant there in DeWitt called the Pow Cafe. And on November 30th, and I'm sorry, and in November of 1930, she had been there about six months working at the Pow Cafe as a waitress. Helen loses her job because the business was slow. Important to keep in mind, this was one year into the Great Depression. Just one year into the Great Depression. So um, this is like America in... 2021. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just wear the mask. Just so much I can. I'm not going to wear the mask. Wear the mask. I'm not going to wear the mask. <laughs> fucking uh. idiots. <laughs> Could you just sh- put on the fucking mask and can you just shut the fuck up? <laughs> just both of you. <laughs> fucking children. <laughs> shut up, both of you. Oh, man. Christmas Eve, 1930. Depressed, alone, and angry, Helen is just wandering the streets of DeWitt, and in her pocket, she has a small revolver. At her wit's end, at her DeWitt's end. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> that was the town she was at DeWitt. Oh, Get it? yeah. End. And she was at end. the end of the town. 
and she was at the end of the street in the town of DeWitt at her DeWitt's end. Um, <laughs> but she's depressed. <laughs> I, I fucking tickle myself that sometimes. That was good. I swear to God. Yeah. Um, she was struggling in the town, going down every road, sort of like uh, – that one was even better than the God just came down and is forcing you to do a rape joke. Yeah, that it landed better. It landed better. It didn't land in a patch of poison ivy. Yeah, no. It. So she's got a revolver. She's walking down around in DeWitt here. It's Christmas Eve, 1930. And it's at this time that she walks into the Pow Cafe, which was her former place of employment, walks up to the cigar counter and attempts to commit. It's a pretty half-assed suicide attempt. She ends up just almost blowing her left titty off. Why? Why was she so low? Why was she? Why was she? Why? Why was her hand so low? What's she thinking? What was she aiming at? She was perky. This is a young lady. Yeah, she's like eighteen at the time. So, but her hand is below her boob. Well, she no. She tries to commit suicide at the place where she lost her job, but she just almost like blows her left tit off. I'm just trying to figure out where this gun was. She performed a revolver mastectomy. Yes, she did. Ugh. They were able to save her tit Good. at the Sutgard Hospital. Ugh. And she was in critical condition there for a short period of time. And when they asked why she had done what she did, she replied, quote, My daddy is gone. I lost my job. I see no need in continuing to live. Unquote. That's pretty good, though. 1930, they saved a, a breast in, in the hospital. You'd think that in that day and age, they'd just kind of cut it off. That's kind of a miracle. I wonder if yeah, people- I mean, her boobs were fine. After, I mean, there was a scar, but yeah. they didn't do any like – I mean, I would say Helen could go topless and no young men would be like, look at Frank and Titty over there, like Tara Reed. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't know, but yeah. Jess is looking at me confused. Tara Reed <clears> – <throat> Had a, a wardrobe malfunction one time, and her boobs are scarred up from where she had a botched boob job. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, how, she tried to get implants, and the implants just are fucked. She, did she have, like, a areola reassignment? Is that, that what? I don't know what it was. I mean, it doesn't really bother me that much. Yeah. Ugh. Anyways. Helen was released a little over a week later. She was bandaged, but she was alive and well. And on January 7th, 1931, two weeks after Helen's suicide attempt, Ada, her stepmother, who had been raped there in the tree line, dies during a surgery in Memphis, Tennessee, to fix internal injuries that she had sustained at the hands of Jack Worlds during the rape. Man, internal injuries. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, he had really been rough. Uh, correct. Refresh my memory. Jack Worlds went where after all this? Jail. Okay, so he I went mean, to the jail. next morning he turned himself in. <clears throat> he turned himself in. That's crazy. Shot a person, raped somebody. Suddenly he's got a conscience. Yeah, he raped her in self-defense. Yeah, sure. He did claim that his murder was. And self-defense, but it's like, okay, but we still have a little issue here. That sounds like a raft of lies. There's still a rape. What about the rape? Was that? You get get it, what I said? I heard you. I just tried to pretend like I didn't. Raft of lies. It's probably what that that movie would have been named. Water. Yeah, rivers. That's where the death happened. Raft float. Murder. 
Yeah. Bang, bang, roll them off the raft. January 19th, 1931. We're in DeWitt, Arkansas, and it's the day of the trial of Jack Worlds. Helen Spence is sitting directly behind Jack Worlds, who is sitting as the defendant and being charged for the murder of Cicero. Now, because Ada is now dead, the judge dismisses her testimony. It's no longer allowed to be used. Yeah, because she's dead. How is she going to testify? But even written testimony, it's not allowed to be used at all. And because she was the only witness, Helen is really concerned that Jack Worlds is going to walk for this. Helen just, she's probably completely out of sorts because how could this possibly work in her favor? It can't. Yeah. So what he, she does, after the closing arguments are made in the trial, just as the jurors start to file out to go to the back room to decide Jack Worlds' fate, Helen stands up Without hesitation, pulls out a forty-five revolver revolver from her blouse and puts four rounds into Jack Worlds' back with a shot grouping so tight you could cover all of them with one hand. Dang. Yeah. This is fucking John Wayne, but if he was hot. Oh. Er. Hotter. Hotter. John Wayne in a dress. They said that the shot group... That you could cover the entire shot group. This is with a revolver from a pretty, like probably 10, 12 feet. Yeah. You could cover the entire shot group with your one hand. That's how close our grouping was. That's like one MOA for talking groupings. <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. Sub MOA, you know, just kind of minute of arc right there. In the, I don't know if you know optics and the rifle. <laughs> This isn't a rifle. This is a revolver. I'm just saying it'd be sub-MOA even with a rifle. Yeah. Impressive even with a a rifle. Impressive. But we're talking about an early 1900s river revolver. (laughs) (laughs) This is probably made out of cedar. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think they ever just called them revolvers, like R-I-V? So they didn't have to say river revolver. They just called them revolvers. Revolvers, probably. Yeah. I'm hoping so. Whenever they did trades. Did you know Helen Keller went skydiving? I did not. Neither did she. (laughs) Imagine how scary skydiving would be if you did not agree to it and you were blind and deaf. You'd kind of think, like, maybe I'm on a bus. Maybe I'm on a bus. I don't even think you have a concept of hots. Nah. As a blind and deaf person. You would notice suddenly be falling for what feels like forever. The 120 mile an hour winds passing your face and and the person strapped to your back might give it away. You know, they're just signing at 150 miles an hour because they don't know what's going on or who's watching. Yeah, but you can't even hear it because the wind's blowing so fast. (laughs) just what the fuck is going on that would be so crazy hair whipping (laughs) i'm I'm gonna try long helen keller dress just just signing (laughs) i'm gonna try that next time so she puts four rounds into the back of jack's back into the back of jack's back that's what I said. Into the back of Jack's back, which is technically his chest. Think about <laughs> yeah, it. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. 
But she doesn't put him in his chest. She puts him in his back while he's sitting there at the defendant's table. Four shots. Super tight grouping. Helen is quickly restrained while absolute chaos breaks out in the courtroom. Uh, Those in attendance, they began slinging open windows in the courthouse and jumping from courtroom windows down into the bushes below. Wow. They didn't know what was going on. So we were really, honestly, and this is long before school shooters were a thing. God, how I fucking hate them. But we were, like, really programmed to handle school shootings at an early time. We were. Because this is even before, I believe, Howard Unruh. Yep. When did Howard Unruh get silly? Uh, Well, no. Let's see. I think that was in the 20s. Howard Unruh shooting. He really went bananas. And no, this so this is bef- yeah, in 1949 is when oh. Howard Unruh oh okay acted like a real jerk. Yeah, he did. And there's never been a mass shooting in history, so they reacted like this even before mass shootings were a thing. Well, technically, this is the first one. It was just probably more- it wasn't a mass shooting. Yeah, she shot one person, sort of. had no desire whatsoever, no plans whatsoever of hurting anybody else. Center of mass shooting. So bam. Gotcha. It was. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. And then, by the way, I said they restrained her. That kind of sounds a little bit more physical than it actually was. By that, I mean she literally turned around and handed the pistol to, pistol to the sheriff. Wow. Well, yeah. Uh, oh, can you imagine? You just got shot in the boob not too long ago. You'd probably be like, don't touch me. Well, you shot you in the boob. But, yeah, you made it sound like. I, I'd, I'd probably be pretty complicit, compliant and complicit. She had done what she Amiable. came there to do. She was she didn't want to hurt anybody else. Yeah. Um, Jack Worrells immediately slumps over in his chair and, <clears throat> and and dumps into the ground. And they they pick him up and throw him onto the defense attorney's table, spread him out, and start trying to do first aid on him. First aid was was administered to the best of their abilities. But this is nineteen thirty one, so that probably just meant spitting dip into his wounds, praying a little bit, and then calling him a pussy. Yeah. Uh, Regardless, it didn't work. 22-year-old Jack Worlds was dead within three minutes of receiving that tight-ass uh, shot grouping that would have even impressed Arlie Army. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I'm all right with it. Yeah, completely. This is a rapist. Fuck him. Bye, bitch. Wish it would have taken longer for you to die. That's the that's the crime here. Yeah. Is our grouping was too tight. She was too good at, at killing. I wish she hadn't been such a good shot. Yeah, it would have been better if she had gotten him like in the glute and the back of the knee. And Just, I would like to have one round to have entered his asshole, traveled up his shaft, and then left out of his dickhead. And then the other one just nicks his spinal column just enough that he leaks spinal yeah. fluid for like, 12 minutes and slowly becomes paralyzed slowly learns what it was like to be Ada's sister yeah yeah horizontally challenged and then dead after being detained Helen was quoted as saying quote I am not sorry and I would do it again unquote I love this woman I love her. Unapologetic to the end. I like that. I respect that. It's the same way I handle situations every time somebody gets outraged over something I've said here on TCK. And the same way that I will handle the situation when it arises after this episode is released. Can we title this episode At Helen's Expense? Get it? Ah, I ran out of jokes just now. You know how you can tell when the joke... You think this is when it happened? 
Yeah. You know when you hit E and you didn't see it before you try to finish the I would say it happened joke. back at the raft comment. I don't know. That one felt pretty fresh. Helen is booked in at the jail in Little Rock, Arkansas. On April 1st, 1931, a little under three months after gunning down that old piece of shit, Jack Worrells, Helen Spence is found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to... Five years in prison. Twenty. Oh yeah. Five, five years. years in prison for second degree murder. However, she was immediately released on a bond pending an appeal, just like her dad was. Remember, he was out on a bond for murder when he got murdered himself. Yeah. So while she's out, keep in mind just how bonkers the sentences were back then, right? Five years for second degree. This isn't like we don't even really know if she did it. She did it in front of three hundred people. In the courthouse. And a judge, yeah. So In front of the judge that would later do her trial. Didn't even need witnesses because <laughs> the judge was a witness. She's like, sir, I, don't, I, I didn't do it. He's like, ma'am, the bullet holes are literally in the witness stand. Yeah, but that's how I feel like we are today politically. It's like literally people shooting people in the court and they're saying, I didn't do it. And we're like, you, you did it, but you did it, but you didn't. And they're like, no, I didn't, but you did. Oh, man. You're doing fine, buddy. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And God damn it, people like you. I don't know. In the meantime, while she's out on bail, Helen gets another waitress job in a shitty little restaurant, this time called the White House. And the White House was owned by a greasy little weasel by the name of Jim, Bo- Jim Bohatz. Now, Jim was a real scumbag. He sexually harassed Helen nonstop. He harassed her more than a teenage football playing bully in a 1980s romantic comedy. And that's a lot. Uh, you know that guy in all those old movies? The bully in the 80s romantic comedies in high school? He just walks up. The 80s were wild. He just walk up and slam two fingers in without so much as a hello and then go, Hey, what's the big deal? As, as, as his other buddies high-five him. Yeah, they're like, Yeah, you tell him, Ricky. Then he slaps the books out of our, our protagonist's hands. Yeah. Fucking nerd. Then they walk away and he sniffs his fingers. Yeah, let me smell them, Ricky. <laughs> 80s were wild, man. Bullies were really crazy in the 80s. Bullies in the 80s would be like, I'm going to fucking kill you, Bobby. And then they actually murder him. And then they get detention for two days. <laughs> That's the kind of person Jim was. Just a sexually harassing scumbag. And he was bothering Helen relentlessly. The sexual harassment got so bad that Helen eventually quits. And this is Helen Spence. This is Helen Spence. This isn't just some soft young lady that had never like really been exposed. This 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 woman, now woman, grew up skinning squirrels and catching alligator gar. Yeah. What's weird too river. is Rim Rim uh Jim Robots would have Probably known that she just ended a guy, too, you know? Yeah, she's currently out on bail for murder. <laughs> for, he's got a, Cisco under her tits. Yeah. Just, this is a hard woman. <laughs> this is a hard, beautiful woman. If you look at pictures of her, she is very beautiful. Very beautiful, but a hard woman. Let me look her up. Hold and on, on Friday sec. night. Helen Keller. That is not the same person. Oof. Yeah, she's all right. She has a Twitter page? I Helen typed Ruth in Spence. Helen Spencer in Google Images. and Yeah, it's not Spencer. It's Helen Ruth Spence. 
Spence. That probably changes it because I was just looking at a lot of LinkedIn profiles. And honestly, profiles. the picture that comes up when you Google her isn't that good of a picture of her. There's a lot of pictures of her, and she is a very pretty girl. Ah, uh, there's one here of her smiling She's on the a front girl. of a on the front of a bur- book that says "Girl Slayer Freed Plans New Start." Yeah, start is in quotes, which is weird. But the smile, you know who she looks like in their picture, the smiling version. She she kind of looks like Amber Raptor. She does kind of look like Amber Raptor, doesn't she? <laughs> also, I can see Amber Raptor putting four bullets in a guy's back. So, same as yeah, with tight grouping. Yeah, probably. I've seen yeah. her draw a beard on her face without even looking. <laughs> but uh, so what I'm saying is, Helen probably dealt with a lot of sexual harassment growing up on a fucking river with river people. But this harassment is so bad that she has to quit her job. But, but, on Friday night, February 5th, 1932, Helen's boss, Jim Bohatz, doesn't return return home from a date. Curious. The same night, his vehicle is found in a wooded clearing, and it was a place where the teens, the local teens, were known to go and park and do fuck noises kind of place where young people get murdered and the only thing the police find is a hook on the door handle. Get along shirt. <laughs> uh, one of those places. His vehicle is found in a clearing in the woods there. And inside, Jim Bohatz is slumped over his steering wheel dead. He had been what? shot twice in the chest with his own pistol. Really? The police, after looking around the vehicle, find his pistol under the passenger side of the vehicle. All of his money was still in his pocket, so they knew robbery was not the motivation. And for now, this case is unsolved. Ah, that's suspenseful. Meanwhile, so while this is going on, they're trying to figure out who killed Jim Bohatz. Meanwhile, Helen's previous conviction in the murder of Jack Worrells is voided by the Arkansas Supreme Court on the grounds that the defense expert, quote, end quote, testimony of her sanity was controverted by the non-expert witnesses. So it's thrown out, and in late 1932, Helen is allowed to plea as guilty to manslaughter instead of murder and is given two years in prison. Now, I don't have a problem with this. Fuck Jack Worlds. But with that being said, manslaughter? She pulled a gun out and shot him in front of like 300 people in a courtroom. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's not it, I'm finding that the murder, the levels of murder charge are not associated with logic. Their names often defy the the actual gravity because it's just What's the lightest? Like, if you wanted to get the lightest murder sense, you would get manslaughter. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, that's what somebody gets. Well, not necessarily always. If they're drunk driving, sometimes they get murder, third degree. Like, yeah, that, doesn't it? Sometimes it gets. Yeah. But, uh, but most of the time, it's a manslaughter charge. Yep. I've had so many members of my family die because of drunk driving, and none of them were ever drunk in the wreck. Really? Yes. A total of one, two, three, four, five, five people in my family 
have been killed by drunk drivers. I feel like there's a joke here, but I'm not I'm not interested in or maybe is there a joke here? Um, On June eighth, nineteen thirty three, Helen is paroled for one thousand dollars. Now, you're probably wondering who came up with is, the money. This is where you. I've got a quote for you here. Oh, now you're probably wondering how you can't write that, and then I have to say. Now it. you're probably wondering how the hell did little Helen Spence come up with one k for her bond? Can't I thought you'd never ask, op? Ah. She didn't. In those days, a thing existed known as debt peonage. Oh, I thought that, that was my line. Quote. That's, Sorry. No, was you don't quotes. have any more quotes. All right. I thought that was. Sorry. In those days, a thing known as debt peonage existed, which was basically legal slavery. Oh, and how no. debt peonage worked was a wealthy person would pay somebody's bond to get them out of prison or jail or whatever. And then they were indebted to servitude to that person until they paid off those debts. And the person in uh, in this case that bought that essentially bought Helen Ruth Spence was a wealthy stranger by the name of W. B. Graham who had put the money up, and in exchange, Helen is contractually obligated to basically be his servant until she paid off her debts. Now, I hate to make assumptions, but in this case. Kind of feel like I have to because, as I previously said, Helen's mug has been plastered all over the newspapers, and it's a mug that, as we've mentioned, pretty easy on the eyes. This is a young lady. She's in her. She's twenty years old at this point. She's pretty, long brown hair, big brown eyes. So a com- so I'm supposed to believe that a complete stranger, an, an old wealthy man, comes in out of the kindness of, of his own heart. Doubt it. I think it's safe to assume that this guy was probably an old rich creep and was hoping that in owning her, he could also get his creepy old pervy dick wet. But I digress. Well, okay. She did have one holy boo. Nobody ever says this, and I just want to point how gross this probably is. I think this WB Graham was probably a pervy shithead that was hoping to be able to take advantage of Helen because of the situation that she was in and because of the fact that he basically owned her. Okay, here's a question for you. Let's say we had Debt Pigeon today and you were wealthy enough to do it. Who would you Debt Pigeon out of prison to to hang out with you? Oh, probably Jason Vukovic. But I wouldn't like be like, hey, I need you to get that laundry done. I would be like, hey, hammers are in the garage. (laughs) (laughs) man (laughs) oh my gosh fact if you want to step it up just bought a sledgehammer (laughs) so i'd probably debt pigeon irene bedard you know who Irene Bedard is? No. Sounds like a professional horse jockey. Close. She was the voice behind voice actress behind Pocahontas. Did you say Pocahontas? Yeah, Pocahontas. Why is she in prison? 
she apparently had to be separated from another woman by police after she had an argument that escalated into a screaming match that led into what they called street screaming without any regard for traffic. Yeah. They said that Poca, yeah, she had a strong odor of alcohol on her breath, but if she's still in prison, so I'd she probably... was screaming in the street. Yeah, street, they called it street screaming without regard That's against for the traffic. Law? Yeah, apparently, apparently if you street scream with regard for traffic, not as heavy of a sentence. But in this I would case, probably bail out uh, Brandon Dassey ooh, if I could, but I, I would let him. Stephen Avery rot because he definitely murdered that woman. Who's the first That's one? That's going to rustle some jimmies, but it's true. Who, who, who? Definitely did a murder. Who was the first person you said? Brandon? The first person was Jason Vukovic. Second person was Brandon Dassey. Who's Brandon Dassey? So you remember Making a Murderer, that documentary that was all over the internet? And oh, everybody was yeah. Doing like, yeah Stephen yeah. Avery didn't kill anybody, even though he totally did. Yeah. Brandon Dassey was the mentally oh, yeah. disabled, uh, kind of slow neighbor, young man. Um, and we know that he was slow, that he was mentally disabled because he wore those blue jeans that zip off at the knee and turn into shorts. Hmm. Yeah, those are that's that a, was a, that was sign one. That's a red flag. This person, <laughs> this zipper pants has shorts. mental deficiencies. I think Bear Grylls wears those too. But I would get out Brandon Dassey and I'd be like, "Hey, dude, I bought you a PS5 and a bunch of games, and here's all of WrestleMania from the time that you've been in jail up until now. You just chill. Don't go into Jason's room, though. He gets grouchy. Yeah, don't go." Don't go in there. Uh, you could, you know, now that I think about it, and now, he also has new hammers. I would not take Pocahontas because one, she's probably not it anymore. But do you know who? You it's know also who, like kind of not good for a white guy to take Pocahontas. Yeah, again, you can take her land, but you just you can't take her. There's was bad optics. Gary Busey, on the other hand. You heard about him, Gary Busey right? isn't in prison. Yeah. No, he's, he's headed that way. He's headed that way. For what? He was at the Monster Mania convention in Pennsylvania, and he groped a, apparently groped a woman. Several sex crimes have been charged against him. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. One count of criminal attempt. Criminal God damn, that's terrifying. Crime. Imagine those teeth God. just breathing heavily over you. Big, huge, three-inch-tall teeth. Dentu cream that hasn't been swapped out so, for so long. It just comes out looking like dap, pack, spackle. <laughs> I met his son, Jake Busey, and he's very pleasant. Also very has big great teeth. human being to hear. He also he looks yeah. just like his dad, Gary. Yes. Yeah. Does. So, Helen, she's bonded out of uh, prison by this pervy old rich dude that's hoping he can take advantage of her probably. I know that's making a lot of assumptions, but I think it's safe to say. I feel like, Jess, am I wrong in this? She's saying Would you say no. that this is a fair assumption? You're kind of the bastion of morality around here, so I want to know if I'm wrong in assuming this. That that's what this old rich dude is wanting. He sees her pretty face plastered all the newspapers. He's like, hey, I'm going to own her, and I'll be able to take, right, am I wrong? I don't. Nobody will believe her. She's a poor river person, and I'm a rich old dude. I don't think you're wrong. Thank you. Okay. Moving on. So get I off never my thought, nuts. Jeez, I if never you're pissed thought she'd... Off, those are Listerine strips, baby. Never thought she'd stop talking. Ugh. 
Shut up. <laughs> Helen outsmarts this rich, pervy old man because instead of returning to his farm to be his indentured servant, she runs off to Little Rock, Arkansas, and begins using a fake name. But... On July 11th, 1933, just three days after after being bonded out, she pops back up at the police station, says, Hey, I'm Helen Spence, and I've got a confession to make because something's been bothering me for a while, and I want to get it off my chest. Hmm. Uh, what do you think that is, Op? I'm going to go with she... No one knew it, but she could neither see... Speak or hear. That would actually that would that's a much bigger turn of events than what actually happened. So thanks for ruining the story. <laughs> but uh, I mean, if that's what happened, then this would be the most fucking bonker story ever. That's this is the book of Eli. Did it happen? This is just did the book that, of Eli. Did I get it? You didn't get it. She has all her facilities. No, ah. she confesses to the police there at the police department that she had indeed been the one to murder Jim Bo- Jim Bohots. Oh, yeah, I, liked I don't mine. think this is a surprise to anybody. She said that Jim had threatened to kill the young man that Helen was dating if she didn't break up with him and begin dating him. So Jim was essentially like one of the first simp's. Yeah, right. This is a little simp boy, a little wi- a little weak bitch. Yeah, um, he's simping really hard, and she doesn't want anything to do with him. And he's like, "Well, I'll kill your boyfriend if you don't if you don't break up with him and start dating me." So then uh, she kind of lures Bohots out to this clearing in his vehicle, and it's there that he forces himself on top of her for the five hundredth motherfucking time. And at that point, she sn- she snatches Bohots' revolver from the door pocket and puts some fucking more tight grouping in his chest. Because uh, this is this is a gunslinger, baby. Helen is a gunslinger. Yeah, he's like, and he doesn't have a fucking chance. If she's got a gun, counts your days. See you son. later, Boner Simpson. <laughs> Get it? Because you called him a simp. Yeah, <laughs> Boner Simp. Son, and he's probably technically somebody's son. So again, technically, like, I would I would be willing to bet that he was. We're like the friggin' blue angels of lined up thoughts. We're like on the same wavelength all the time. Just yeah. like the best friend blue angels. Right. It's pretty cool. We should see if we get hired at some air shows. Like maybe like a lunch act like and now the show now the planes are landing. Come on in and Watch these two guys riff. Uh, did she go to jail? Uh, oh, I was really uncomfortable there. You were Helen s- was once again. Sorry, yes, we, I was with, dream building a little, and I know how you get. Yeah, when I'm I sure I hear about it at three in the morning via text. Yeah. Um, Helen was once again charged with murder and returned to DeWitt once again. Uh, she pled guilty. And was sentenced to 10 years on a prison farm at the State Farm for Women in Jacksonville. But it gets worse, Op. The woman in charge of the prison farm that Helen was sentenced to was known to force the prisoners there. This is an all-woman farm. Force the women prisoners there into prostitution. And this is a woman. So now we, we have, we've already dealt with a couple of creepy old men. Now we've got a creepy old woman that's now preying on young females. 
she would send these women on missions, on hooker missions, into Memphis for this reason, for the reason of, of doing things with penises and then bringing her the money back. So this is like SEAL Team 6 if they weren't interested in killing Osama, but instead interesting in crashing a plane into Pakistan and sucking his dick. It sounds like there's a movie that's been made probably around that. The the movie's called Blow Sama Bin Longing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is like a special ops hooker team because they're all prisoners. Yeah. And they're going into Memphis <laughs> under prison cover like to blow dudes. And it's in Memphis, so the movie's called Looker Looker Chicken Hooker. <laughs> Cuz they're all attractive and Instead of Black Hawk Down, it's called Black Hawk Up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Memphis Blue Balls. Helen being gorgeous, like I said, was one of the women forced into doing this thing. Now, on these excursions, she has no desire to do this, obviously. None of these women do. Uh, Helen tried to escape on several occasions during these top secret special ops prostitution missions but she was always caught and then brutally beaten and sometimes these beatings would lead to nasty nasty infections and then they would take care of these nasty infections with treatments intended to cause further pain to further persuade her dissuade her from escaping Mm. unfortunately helen spence's crazy life uh will soon come to an end though Because on July 10th, 1934, while working in a strawberry patch detail, Helen complains to one of the guards of a stomach sickness. Just before noon, she is sent to the farmhouse to get some medicine for her stomach. And while inside, she breaks into one of the guards' rooms and grabs a forty-four revolver and flees. She gets some big guns. Yeah. Yeah. And she knows how she can... She can blow the head of your dick off at like 60 yards. <laughs> she can take three shots and remove your, your dickhead and then both of your testicles at 60 yards while on horseback at a full trot. That's That night was spent combing the woods and the surrounding areas uh, with bloodhounds uh, by cops. They were all looking for Helen. They had no luck finding her. And on July 11th, 1934, the next day, Helen Spence is walking up the driveway of a farm owned by a Mr. and Mrs. Van. Now, Miss Van, she was sitting on her porch there on the farm, probably doing whatever old ladies in the country did in 1934. Quilting, maybe. Throwing seed at chickens. Yeah. Saying the N-word. God, I hope not. She was just sitting there on the porch, Miss Van was, and she sees Helen walking up the driveway. When Helen gets a few feet away from her on the porch there, she pulls out the 45, points at Miss Van, and asks her if she can drive. Miss Van, though, was not prepared to fuck around and find out, and she just kind of ran into the house and left Helen standing out there on the front lawn with her dick in her hand. <laughs> Helen kind of like, I don't think Helen would have killed this woman. This isn't in Helen. This isn't who Helen is. Um, She's Mm -hmm. not the kind of person that kills innocent people. Um, I think she was desperate. But she just kind of leaves. She's like, okay, well, that didn't work. Uh, When Mr. Van 
Mrs. Van's husband arrives home shortly after. His wife tells him the whole story about what happened. Hey, I was sitting out there. I was just kind of muttering the N-word under my breath. And this young girl, she comes walking up the driveway and points a gun at me and asks if I can drive. And he's like, oh, one escaped from the uh, work farm uh, uh, a few miles away last night. So he immediately drives to the prison and lets them know what had just happened. And it's at that point that a deputy sheriff and an armed trustee, let me say that again, an armed trustee, do you know what a trustee is? No. A trustee is a prison inmate that has been deemed responsible enough to perform work duties. Let me say this again, an armed trustee, armed let me elaborate on this trustee. His name was Frank Martin, and he was already in prison for murder. Man. An armed trustee named Frank Martin and a deputy sheriff began patrolling the dusty roads around the farm that Helen had been seen at, searching for her. Soon, they find her just walking down the road about a mile from the farm, and they order her, they hop out, both of them out of the patrol car, and order her to raise her hands. She looks at him for a moment, ignores them, turns, and just keeps walking. At that point, the armed trustee, Frank Martin, raises his shotgun and shoots a 22-year-old woman in the back of the head with a shotgun and kills her. Ugh. She never had even taken her, taken her gun out of her dress pocket. He just shot her. Just fucking killed her. Man. And that was, unfortunately, the end of Helen Spence. I think that this poor young lady led a very sad life, a sad existence, and probably could have achieved greatness if given the right circumstances and uh, environment to do so. It was just one tragedy after another, uh, one scumbag after another. She She never had a chance. She never had a chance. Trusty Frank Martin was once again charged with murder, but this time he was acquitted. Yeah, right. Jess's mouth. Oh, because I guess he was uh, he was deputized. At he that was deputized. Point. He had the long yeah. arm of the law to protect him. He was acquitted of the murder where he shot a twenty-two-year-old woman in the back as she calmly walked away. <clears throat> Back of the head, mind you, with a shotgun. They do say the local legend is, though, this is River Justice, that Frank Martin got out of prison a few years later for the murder that he was in there for and mm-hmm. returned back to uh, the, the uh, Arkansas County and was caught bragging on one occasion about being the one that killed Helen Spence. And then the local grocer who was a river person herself, had a special loaf of bread made for him because he would always come in and buy bread. And uh, when she found out that he was bragging, the next time he came into the grocery store to buy bread, she said, hey, we've got some cheaper bread and it's better. Get this instead. And Frank Martin did buy that bread. And that that night, Frank Martin fucking died. Was it a shotgun instead? Yeah, they they put a bomb in it. Ah. She had baked a bomb into the bread. Goes to hell and coming back. I have a new title for this episode. What? It's I can't even believe it. it just kind of went over our heads, but Helen Killer, obviously. Helen Killer? Helen, Helen Killer. Which is a... 
like Helen Keller, but instead you take the E out, the first E, and you put an I there. Yeah, there is no and I in Helen, Helen Keller. Helen Keller would have killed for just one I. <laughs> she sure would have. <laughs> wow. Oh, that was good. That was really good. Helen Spence's body, which keep in mind by this time, Helen is kind of a local legend, right? She's like the female version of uh, of a 1900s Billy the Kid. Mm-hmm. Her body was sent to a nearby funeral home there. Since she was now, like I said, locally famous, hundreds of people lined up to see it. And there's actually, I found in one of the old newspapers, a body of her corpse. And uh, she was still pretty, very pretty. Uh, according to legend, though, that night, the funeral home was broken into by a group of Helen's school friends and friends from the river, the river people. And that group was led by a man by the name of John Black. They broke into the funeral home, stole Helen's body, and then buried, in, buried it in the woods and marked it with a cedar tree so that she could be buried with respect and not be buried as a murder murderer by a bunch of people that didn't care about her. According to legend, John Black tended to this grave until he himself died. Today, her official headstone is located at the St. Charles Cemetery in St. Charles, Arkansas, or uh, as a lot of people call it, Iraq and Sass. Yeah, they don't. And that is the story of Helen Ruth Spence. I really enjoyed that one. Bye. Bye.